This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And welcome once again to Worship with West Concord as we're gathering online. Glad you could be with us today. Today we're celebrating I Love My Church Sunday. And if this is Sunday and you're watching us, just know that we love our church and we love the church, the Church of Jesus Christ. We're also going to continue our series on discipleship entitled Inside Out Discipleship as God Intended. Now, when we talk about loving our church, we need to understand that this, this is part of discipleship. This is part of our understanding of what discipleship is all about. Because when we think of church, oftentimes we think of maybe a red brick building with a steeple and stained glass windows, or we think of our denomination or our traditions, or we think of our business structure or things like that. But the church, as we're going to see, is not made up of those things. The church is actually the people who have been called out through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we say, I love my church, we are literally saying, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're going to talk about that subject today because it is part of doing discipleship the way God intended. So as we think about loving our church and as we think about who the church is, uh, I like this quote from uh, N.T. Wright, uh, a great English theologian and scholar. He says this, he says, the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes. The first one is to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, and that is to encourage one another. We encourage one another to build one another up in the faith, to pray for and pray with one another, to learn from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. You know, we talked about fellowship earlier when we talked about the vineyard and how we should love one another with a sacrificial love, and we should be involved in fellowship. And again, fellowship can, can be two things. It could be fellowship of Christians, just Christians getting together and enjoying a meal together or, or watching a ball game together or just enjoying time together. But when we talk about Christian fellowship, that is getting together with Christ as the center, with learning of Him as the focus. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about all of these things as we talk about loving our church, which is part of discipleship. And I also love this quote by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, one of my heroes, who was the grand and great evangelist and preacher during the late 1800s, he said, there is no use trying to do church without love. You can't do church work without love. Love and church, love and church work go together. He goes on to say, a doctor, a lawyer may do good work without love, but God's work cannot be done without love. We must have first and foremost love of God, love for God. We must love one another. And even though, as we saw last week, the world hates us, as Jesus said in John 15, we must still love the world nonetheless. Because listen, we're not deserving of salvation either. We are unlovely, but God nonetheless loved us. So we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to jump into our scriptures. We're going to look at the book of Acts chapter 2 at the embryonic church this morning. And we're going to see how that love 
not only bound these people together, but caused tremendous spiritual and numerical growth in the church. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Father, I thank you that I am privileged to be part of a church family. I thank you for the West Concord Baptist Church family. Lord, I love my church. We have a great church. We have great folks in our church. We're by no means perfect. I'm not, they're not. But Lord, we love you as best we can. We serve you to our, to our best, Father. And we thank you that you've given us a task. And that task is to glorify you, to do the work that you've called us to do, and to build each other up as we seek to lead this world to Jesus Christ. I love my church, Lord. But I also know you love this church and other churches that teach and preach your word as well. So Lord, as we jump into your word, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look in the book of Acts chapter 2, and the book of Acts was written by Luke, the human author inspired by God, as sort of a sequel to his gospel. And Luke now tells us about what is called the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, what did Jesus' disciples do when he went off to be with, in, with his Father in glory? What did they do? Well, they started something that he told them that they would start called the church. The English word church comes from an even older English word, kirk, and it is a derivative of many changes and many years back of the Greek word in the Bible, ekklesia. As we've said many times, ekklesia, ekklesia is a compound Greek word, ek, where we get our word exit from, it means out of, and kaleo, which means to call. And the church basically is a called out assembly. And the fact of the matter is we're called out assembly, called by Jesus Christ through the gospel. And our purpose is to assemble and honor, glorify, worship him and to be his agent and avenue to take the gospel to the lost. So as we get into the book of Acts chapter two, we see the, the beginnings of the church, the birth of the church. And the apostle Peter in this passage is standing in the court of the temple in Jerusalem, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, remember Peter. It was Peter who just a little while before this, just a, a little over a month before this, the night that Jesus was being crucified, he was hiding out. He was afraid. And when he was challenged, when somebody said, hey, you're with that Nazarene, you're with that Jesus guy, he denied knowing Jesus, cursing him, and he did it three times. Peter was afraid he was cowardly, but when the resurrected and raised Jesus Christ confronted him and God through Christ restored him, the once cowardly Peter became a bold proponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was Peter who stood up and preached that first sermon in the church as the church was being formed. And as we come to the end of that sermon, I encourage you to read the first part of Acts chapter 2 uh, at your leisure sometime. But as we come to that and we pick it up in verse 40, we're going to kind of get a view as to what was going on with what the church was back in the day. And I want you to notice the first thing is we see the explosion of the church. The explosion of the church. Now keep in mind, that Jesus had 11 disciples up to this point. Remember, the, he had 12, but Judas betrayed him, and Judas uh, killed himself uh, because of the, the revelation of his betrayal. And uh, there were only 11 disciples, and Jesus had probably about 100, 120 more uh, disciples as well. So you could figure there were probably about 130 
people all together. And, and many of them were still nervous and frightened. But Peter stood up. The disciples came out. They were preaching. And uh, it was incredible. The Spirit of God had fallen on them, had indwelt them, gave, had given them spiritual gifts and abilities. And man, Peter just got up and preached a fantastic sermon. And then we jump into chapter 2 and verse 40. And again, we get sort of a description now of how things were going with this brand new thing called the church. And he says in verse 40, notice the explosion of the church. And with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted or built them up saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly, listen, those who gladly received his word were baptized. They had believed first and were baptized. And it says, and that day, look at this. This is amazing. About 3,000 souls were added to them. Now understand, let's get the picture of this church. I call it an explosion because you think of an explosion, one singular uh, bomb or, or one singular event happened and, and, and as soon as the radiation explosion happened, the radiations just went out everywhere. The explosion of the church, notice this, in a sense, it started with just a dozen or so people reaching out. The disciples were, were going out. They came out of their hiding. Jesus had ascended back into heaven. They knew now that he had risen. They were confident in their faith. And now they were out among the people. And Peter chose this moment to preach. And at that time, there were just about a little over a dozen. And maybe some of the other 100 or 120 disciples were active as well. But dozens were reaching out. Notice this wasn't some massive group of hundreds or thousands of people. This was just a few dozen people being led by this one man. You know, this, this, this group of people that were following Jesus at the time was really no larger than the average Baptist church, per se, today. And so dozens reach out, but I want you to notice thousands were redeemed. Over 3,000 souls were added that day. The Bible says in Romans, the power of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16. Peter got up and preached the good news of Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen again. And he, and, he, and he convicted the hearts of the people through that message. And notice as the church is born, there are no church buildings. As a matter of fact, there hadn't been any church buildings. There weren't going to be for 300 plus years. There were no church buildings. There were no, uh, there were no sound systems. There were no budgets. They didn't even have pastors and deacons at this point. There were no pews and, and potted plants. There were no flags and cars. There's nothing. All they had was the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrendered souls to preach it. Dozens reached out, but thousands were redeemed. How much do we limit ourselves today? Well, we don't have enough money in the budget. Well, we're just a small church. Well, the society is against us. Listen, if Peter and his disciples can do it, the disciples of Jesus can do it, why can't we? Why are we so hindered? Why are we so limited? Notice again, it says in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They received Christ as Savior. They made that public expression through water baptism. And it says that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I'm sorry, but that just blows me away every time I read it. And so, yes, the church exploded. It was amazing to see 
The church just exploded. And understand this, as you read through the book of Acts, which is a marvelous book, the whole Bible's God's word, of course, but being a kind of a history nut, I love to read the book of Acts. And, and every so few verses, every uh, once in a while, periodically through Acts, we sort of get another look at the church, another flyover of the church. And continue the, continually, they have thousands and thousands being added to the church of Jesus Christ. And it started with just a handful of guys. It started with just a few followers, just a few dozen or some dozens went out to teach and preach and minister and thousands became saved. It's amazing. So we see the explosion of the church. And as we then see the church forming and gathering, I want you to notice the expression of the church. How did they begin their existence? What did they do? And remember, they didn't have all the trappings that we have and that we think are so important. They didn't go back to the church building. There was none. They didn't get their chairs and pews together. There were none. There wasn't a budget that had to, well, we got to do this again. I wonder if the money's in the budget. There was no budget. And at this time, the disciples of Jesus, the apostles now were the pastors of the church in a sense. There were no deacons, which deacons are, on a, on a, you know, they come along in Acts chapter 6. God uh, uses the office of a deacon to build the church, and we praise God for them. I know at West Concord, we have wonderful deacons, and we work together as such a wonderful team, and I love these fellas. But they had none of these things, but yet they gathered. They gathered wherever, wherever they could gather. And I want you to notice in verse 42, as we see the expression of the church, it says this, and it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear, that word fear means a respect, that then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and, all, and they had all things in common. Now some people misrepresent this. They say, well, see, that's the beginning of communism. No, no, no. Communism, socialism is not what is being talked about here. Communism and socialism is godless oppression. Communism and socialism, that is something that is forced upon people. This is not, this is people voluntarily sharing out of their abundance to those people who are struggling, which is the way God intended to be. Now it says in verse 40, now they all were together and uh, had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So I want you to notice a few characteristics here in the expression of the church. They had discipleship. Again, a disciple is a learner. It's somebody who has given his or her life to learn. And this is what Jesus' disciples did. And this is what the early church did. They learned. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and teaching and preaching. So they had discipleship. This is what's so important that we need in our churches today. We need that one-on-one, -on -one, that small group discipleship. We need to be discipling somebody and we need to be discipled by somebody. Not only that, but they had fellowship. They Notice it says they were together. They came together. You know, this has been very hard during this COVID pandemic to come together. And there have been times, unfortunately, where we've had to pause our gathering, but we did so to keep our family safe, our church family, our families, our communities to keep us safe. Yet we had the opportunity to gather online, to gather together, maybe a few people in a home. We still are called to gather together, even if it means we Zoom call with 20 people in a Sunday school class. That is still a sense of gathering. So they had fellowship. Not only that, but they worshiped. 
They worshiped, they had worship times. And some of the early church's worship style, if you will, was patterned after the synagogue uh, when they worshiped in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, much of what we do today in worship comes out of the pattern that existed in the first century synagogue of its day, the way they did worship with the music, the preaching, and how they, uh, how they set that up. So they did have worship. They worshiped in song. They worshiped in the word. And they also had companionship. Companionship. That goes along with the discipleship. They brought their stuff. They knew that people had need. There were people who were wealthy. Unfortunately, many of the church members at that time were slaves and servants in different homes and to different people, and they didn't have as much as some did. So the wealthier church members gave of their abundance to help out those who were struggling. They came together. They companioned together. You know, oftentimes on Sunday morning, we gather together, but then after church, we spread out. And technically, we should do that to go out and actually do the work of the church, which is sharing the gospel at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, and so forth. But we still need to be together as we come together to learn God's word together. As we gather on Wednesday night, maybe you and another person or you and two or three other people gather sometime through the week to share the word. You know, as COVID lifts and we're able to get Sunday school back, we'll again gather in our sun Sunday school classes in our small groups. But these were the ways the church initially expressed itself. And these are still characteristics that should be in the church today. Again, discipleship, we should be learning and being taught. Fellowship, we must spend time together in learning. Worship, we need to gather on Sundays and if possible on Wednesdays, especially on Sundays. And understand this, worship and gathering together is not an option for the believer. Not if I've got something better to do or something more important to do. Listen, unless you are providentially hindered by sickness uh, out of town or you have to work, you need to be in church. Your family needs to be worshiping together. We need one another. Yes, at this time, there are some who can't be here because of the COVID thing. I get that. But we also need to take advantage of digital opportunities when we have our Bible studies and worship services online. And then, of course, companionship. We need to look out for one another. We need to spend time together. We need to make sure that everyone within our congregation and church family is taken care of. And even spread beyond that, everybody in our community, we need to make sure that everyone is taken care of. You know, we talked about communism and socialism earlier. It's a shame that we have allowed our governmental system to become a charity. Government should never be a charity. That kind of thing should be done by the churches, by those communities that worship Jesus Christ. That's where charity should come from. So we see the explosion of the church. Out of a few dozen, thousands came to know Jesus. We see the expression of the church, how they did church. And again, let me reiterate, no building, no pew, no budget, no officers, no carpets, no, none of these things. There were no youth groups. There were no children's ministry. Not that these things are bad, but understand we don't have to have these things to be the great church God has called us to be. So that's the expression of the church. Let's look at the expansion of the church. Listen, the church didn't say, you know what? We've got about 3,000 people. We're good. Let's now start taking care of ourselves. No, no. They began to continue to expand. Look at what it says in verse 46. Notice again, so continuingly, continuing rather, daily. 
You know, we get all upset because, man, it's hard to get up on Sunday morning. Boy, I tell you, I've had a rough weekend. Oh, my goodness, it's been a rough week. I'm tired. I've worked six days. I don't know if I can get to church on Sunday. Listen, they worshiped on Sunday, but in the early days of the church, they gathered every day. Did you see that? So continuing, continuing daily and with one accord in the temple. They didn't have a church building, so they met on the steps of the Jewish temple. It's the only place they had at the time. That was the only place big enough to hold them at this point. It says they continued daily. Mark that if it's your Bible. Again, those are one of those things that blows my mind. We can't barely make it here on Sunday. But these folks, they loved the Lord and they were, they were excited about what was going on. And they met daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. This was beginning to start the house ministry because as the church began to expand, they began to meet in different houses. You know, that's why many churches, when you see the architecture of churches, they tend to, except for the steeple, resemble a house because the church over centuries has been called the house of God. Not the house God lives in, God lives in you and I, but it is a house dedicated for the ministry and worship of Almighty God. But here they met in houses. They met in houses. They met in places, wherever they could meet. So they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They, they ate together. They did the Lord's Supper together in these houses. Plus, they shared meals together. You know, that's one thing about Christian fellowship that's enjoyable is, you know, we all love to eat, as you can tell when you see each other, but we love to sit around and enjoy good food together because that builds camaraderie, that builds fellowship. And this has been going on even before the church had walls to meet in. We went from house to house. Look at that, look at that closeness, look at that fellowship. You talk about, I love my church. These folks loved one another. That love was born out of their love for Jesus Christ. And they loved one another. So notice this, they had consistency, living for Christ. Understand, day to day, every day, they continued daily. Because living for Christ is not just an occasion. See, we think I do my church thing on Sunday, and then I go do my thing the rest of the week. I had a man tell me that one time. I was sharing the gospel with him many years ago. And he said, Brother Mike, he said, I'm a believer. And, oh, okay, that's good. He said, but understand this. I belong to God on Sunday, but the rest of the week is mine. And I thought, how tragic, how sad. Because it's not supposed to work that way. We're supposed to have consistency in our life if we're going to really have any kind of impact on the world, which means living for Christ, again, is not just an occasion. It's not just a Sunday thing or maybe a Wednesday thing. It's not just a Christmas or Easter thing. You know, I'm amazed every year at how full the church is on Easter Sunday and then how empty it is the very next week. It's heartbreaking. It is. I appreciate those people that come on Sunday. But listen, every Sunday is a day to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Every Sunday is a day that we're to gather and worship. I love my church. I love my Lord. And that means that living for Christ is not just an occasion. Living for Christ must be an occupation. It must be an occupation, something that I'm involved in. They were, they continued daily and they continued to worship and they continued to meet together. They ate together. They spent time together. And I know there's a phrase out there. I, I don't like some of these more uh, modern phrases, I guess, because I'm getting older. They did life together. 
But that, that's, that sounds so kitschy, but it's true. They did life together. The church wasn't a place where they met. They were the church. You know, this building that I'm preaching from today, this is a church building. But as I'm doing this, there are only two people here, myself and our wonderful brother, Mike Brooks, who's here filming this. But you know what? Where two or three are gathered, Jesus said, there I'm in the midst. You know, we're the church wherever we go and whatever we do. So understand this, following Christ, living for Christ is not just an occasional thing. It should be an occupation. We should be occupied with it all the time. Once you notice that, you know, consistency was one thing about the church and the reason why it expanded. They stuck with it. They hung with it. But I also want you to notice the congeniality they had. They got along. Look what it says in verse 47. It says, praising God. They, they did this and praising God. And notice in having favor with all the people. Now, let me stop there. Yes, the church later on experienced difficulty. The church, even in the next few chapters, they began to experience persecution. They began to experience uh, attack, insult. But understand this, more often than not, that came from self-righteous religious leaders who were jealous of the church and also from the politicians who are frightened of this brand new burgeoning body that was coming out. And that's what goes on today. Even the church that exists here in 2021, we get persecuted by other religious people. We get persecuted by political people, by pundits, by social experts and all of these things, educators, the academic world. But you know what? The average Joe and Mary, the average person on the street, our neighbors, our fellow students, you know, as we live for Christ and do it in a loving, gracious manner, more often than not, you're going to garner respect than you are going to garner difficulty. That comes from leaders and so forth. But here at the church, they praised God. They were, there was a tremendous amount of gladness and joy. And the, and the church ought to be that way. You know, I love it when we're at church on Sunday morning and when the praise team is singing, man, people are just getting into it. I love it when they finish the song and people just get so excited they applaud. Because more often than not, yes, they appreciate the wonder, wonderful job the praise team does, but they're praising God for just a wonderful message. I love it when people shout amen in a worship service. And I love it when people get excited about things. You know, our church should be something that elicits excitement for Jesus Christ. I'll never forget many years ago, after I'd been here a few years, I had a couple of ladies come to my office and uh, they said, Brother Mike, because they all talk like that. They said, Brother Mike, I'm talking about critics. They said, we don't like all this loud noise and clapping. They said, this is not a sports game. They said, this is worship. And uh, I had to really watch my tongue. The Spirit of God had to hold me back because I had to tell them, listen, I want to hear the church get excited. We have, we have reason to be excited. You can go to the stadium and you can cheer on the Panthers. You can go to the basketball stadium and you can cheer on the Hornets. You can do all of that stuff and get excited. But we have even a greater reason to be excited. And yes, we need to shout. We need to cheer. We need to sing. We need to clap. We need to get excited in the church of Jesus Christ. They were praising God. They were glad. And they had favor with the people. They had goodwill in their community. They had goodwill. No, some leaders will hate us. There will be people who disagree with us that hate us. But listen, we need to be a lighthouse in the community. We don't need to just sit behind our red brick walls and cower. We need to be out there. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The most important work the church does 
does not happen on Sunday. It happens on Monday through Saturday when we leave this place and we, the church, go out among the people and share Jesus Christ with them. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And I tell you, people will appreciate that. And we don't do it with a self-righteous attitude. We're not out there trying to prove we're better than they. Remember, it's not us against them. It's God for all of us. We go out there to share the love of God. And yep, some people are going to reject it. Some people might even reject you, but don't take that personally. But understand this, there are a lot of people when you actually live, by the way, that's another thing. We need to quit playing the hypocrite and we need to actually live what we believe. We need to live what we say we believe. And we need to be loving, kind, generous, and patient with those around us. They had goodwill. They had gladness. And goes on to say in verse 47, and look, look at this, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Did you see that again? Daily. They had growth. The church was expanding. And notice it wasn't just a few people coming forward on Sunday morning. People were getting saved every day. Every day people were coming to Christ. Every day the church was out sharing the gospel. Every day the church was growing. Listen, bless God, it wasn't just the disciples doing this either. It wasn't just the apostles doing this. It was the people of the church. They were excited. How can you not be excited? You've got eternal life. You have a relationship with God. You can have fellowship with God. You know you're going to heaven one day. You know that when you pray, somebody is listening. You know that your life has purpose and meaning. Why wouldn't you go out and take that message out every day? Let's read that line again. It says the church daily, those were being saved. The church added to them daily, those who were being saved. What a, what a wonderful testimony. What an amazing testimony. So I want you to notice, yes, congeniality. They had gladness. They had goodwill. And because of this, they grew. They were consistent in what they did. Living for Christ isn't just a Sunday uh, occasion, it's a daily occupation, and that's what they did. Notice in that passage as we read it, it said they did this daily, continuing daily, continuing steadfastly. They were on board. They were on point. Oh, don't you love it? Don't you love reading that? Why doesn't that describe our churches today? Why, what am I doing wrong? What are you doing wrong? What are we not doing right? We need to take some time here in the next few months as we're slowly emerging from the COVID pandemic to re-examine. That's why we're doing these discipleship messages to re-examine who and what we are and what we're about and what we're supposed to be doing. That is why we're talking about discipleship the way God intended. And today we're celebrating I Love My Church Sunday. Well, let me, let me submit something to you. If you really love your church, and that doesn't mean these buildings, and that doesn't mean the traditions or the denomination, that doesn't mean the, the, the deacons and the pastor, that means everybody loving one another and all of us loving Christ and doing what he's commanded us to do. I want you to leave you a couple of things. Notice in Acts chapter 5, let me just leave you with this verse as we finish up. In Acts chapter 5, we go ahead three chapters. And again, every once in a while, Luke gives us a sort of a, uh, a flyover view of what's going on in the church. And uh, during Acts chapter 5, we see some internal problems in the church with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they were dealt with because they acted dishonestly. And we also see Peter and James and the disciples being attacked, arrested, and beaten because of the gospel by the religious leaders. But I want you to notice that the church was still thriving and growing. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, three chapters later, it says, And daily, there's that word again, 
boy, mark it, highlight it, underline it, circle it, and daily in the temple. Again, they didn't have, they didn't have a building. They still, many of them were meeting on the steps of the temple. Some had spread to different houses and daily and in every house, notice, notice they did not cease teaching and preaching what? Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. This is what they did daily. They did this daily. Notice it says they did not cease. Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, his burial, his crucifixion, his resurrection. These were all what they were focused on. They, they weren't focused on fixing the ills of this world, although we should be championing the rights of people. We should be standing up for those who are struggling. But our main mission is to point to the cross. Our main mission is to communicate the gospel. You know, because listen, if we get these people saved, we're more likely to have a better world to live in. We need to make sure that we get the horse before the cart, not the other way around, so that we can do everything the way God intended us to do it daily. They didn't cease. Man, what, a, what an exciting testimony. So here's the thing. I love my church. I am privileged to be the pastor of West Concord Baptist Church. Come this June, I will be the pastor here for 28 years. I've been involved in this church. I came 30 years ago as youth and music minister. And man, I tell you what, yep, we've had our ups and downs. We've been through good things, difficult things, but here we are. And, and, and West Concord Baptist Church just last month celebrated 115 years of existence. This church has gone through uh, a pandemic, two pandemics, the Spanish flu and now the COVID flu, COVID pandemic. We've gone through the First World War, the Second World War, the Great Depression. We've gone through the Korean conflict and Vietnam. We've gone through different bouts of racial unrest. We've gone through recessions and depressions. We've lost members. We've struggled internally, externally, yet by the glory of God, West Concord stands strong. We're still preaching the gospel. And there's every reason in the world through Jesus Christ to love our church. I love my church. I love my church family. And I love you. Thank you for listening. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for all churches that teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for all churches that lift him up and worship him. Father, thank you for West Concord Baptist Church, who through 115 years has stayed strong. Yes, we've had trouble. Yes, we've struggled. And no, by no means are we perfect. But Father, I thank you that this church loves your word. They give me the liberty to preach. They want to hear the truth, even when it's difficult. And Father, I love this church. I love this church. This is my family. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'll wrap your arms around this church. And as we emerge from COVID, I pray in, that, that we would be the best church we've ever been in 115 years. I pray for my brothers and sisters from other good churches who are watching and listening. If their churches are teaching and preaching the truth, bless them as well. Lift them as well. And Father, may we truly have an impact on this world. Thank you, Lord. We love our church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.